sharp rise in food prices has sent an enormous shock around the world. The United Nations reports that nearly 40 countries have food shortages. A dozen countries have experienced riots related to the current food crisis. What is happening? In this special food crisis edition of Radio Sustain, we talked with Sophia Murphy about the causes of the food crisis. Karen Smaller about what international institutions are doing to address it, and Anne Lore Constantine about who is benefiting from higher prices. crisis a symptom of deeper problems with our global food system? We sat down with IETP Senior Trade Advisor Sophia Murphy to find out. Well, I think that the past several decades of trade liberalization, also the deregulation of the economy more largely, it brought some important changes to agriculture in developing countries. It did allow farmers to stop growing what the government said they had to grow and gave them some independence and some choice to respond to what consumers wanted. But the whole big project dismantled a lot of market mechanisms that without which um, agriculture is not functioning properly. So in many of these countries, the government was a, a buyer, a, a distributor, and provided public stocks where food was held. And the part of that was to stabilize prices so that if harvests failed, that there was some food to put onto the market. And when there was a big harvest, you kept some back so that prices didn't fall too low. So all of these roles, governments did more or less well. There were certainly issues with accountability and transparency of how those operations of distribution and purchase worked. But without them, the private sector has, in some cases, been unable, just not sufficiently capitalized to make the necessary investment, and in other cases, not interested to go into where the government was. So many of the rural areas, especially those not just adjacent to a big city, have been completely left out of a food economy. And that has meant production has gone down, even though there's desperate need to grow more food, and has meant an exodus. In our region, we see it in the form of migration into the United States. But across the world, that migration is there within countries and across borders where the rural economies have failed and therefore people have left, often young men, but increasingly young women as well, leave to find work somewhere else. And that has devastating consequences for the people left behind because it takes out the able-bodied, sort of the people who should do the productive work and has meant food production has gone down even though we need more food. I would say one other whole strand of failure has been in government's failure to address climate change in a serious way. That's obviously a very big failure of the United States, probably the single most uh, important country with regard to both the problem and potentially for the solution because of the money it has. But, but generally also, there's been a failure of analysis from the UN, from the World Bank, to look at what climate change is doing and to, to food production and to think about how we're going to adapt to a new world. Related to that, there are production crises related uh, to water, to soil health, to, to the natural resources on which agriculture depends. And the failure, the, the, the failure of the past 20 or 30 years to invest in agriculture has left a lot of the ecosystems at breaking point. If you 
like a walking razor. Don't you watch my size? I'm dangerous. Said I'm dangerous. I'm like a walking razor. Don't you watch my size? I'm dangerous. Dangerous. A number of international institutions, including the World Trade Organization, World Bank, and the United Nations, have weighed in on the food crisis. Recently, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization held a summit on food and climate in Rome. The director of IATP's Trade Information Project, Karen Smaller, attended the Rome meeting. The meeting in Rome was an urgent summit or an emergency summit called by the Secretary General of the United Nations. And he actually piggybacked onto a meeting that the Food and Agriculture Organization had already planned to bring world leaders together to try and solve the crisis in the food system. So there were over 30 heads of state that came, plus ministers from all other countries who came together to try and come up with some kind of a political guidance to policymakers, to advocates, to government officials on what steps needed to be taken to secure enough food um, to people around the world and to resolve the crisis. The major outcomes of the conference were threefold. One was a political declaration from world leaders, which clearly said what is needed is a new approach to agriculture. Agriculture has been neglected for decades and there needs to be new investment to agriculture. And there needs to be a focus on smallholder producers. So they need to be the target. The Secretary General of the UN, Ban Ki-moon, said that agricultural production had to increase by 50% by 2030. So a strong call to re-establish support for smallholder farmers, to rebuild food stocks, to help deal with crises if they reoccur, to deal with some of the stability in the market. Unfortunately, they also in parallel called for further deregulation and liberalization of markets. And so they failed to acknowledge the role that the markets have played or the failure of world markets in being able to secure enough food for people. So some positives, but still some negatives. A second thing that came out was a task force that the UN has established on the food crisis. And this is a task force that's compromised of all the UN agencies, including the World Food Programme, the FAO, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the WTO, the Humanitarian Assistance Division of the UN. So all the UN agencies coming together to try and decide how they could implement the political declaration from the world leaders. And this is a task force that will continue to meet and will continue to find ways to solve the food crisis. Again, they're focusing on support to smallholder producers, providing humanitarian assistance immediately. They're trying to find ways to put in place better safety nets and risk management systems to avoid crises in the future. So really strong proposals on the one hand, but then once again, a failure to acknowledge the role that the World Bank the International Monetary Fund and the World Trade Organization have played in contributing to the crisis and a failure to acknowledge that the current structure of world markets has exacerbated the crisis and made the crisis more severe. The final initiative was a joint initiative by a new foundation called the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, or AGRA, which has been spearheaded by Kofi Annan, the ex-Secretary General of the UN. 
and being supported by the Bill Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation. And this new initiative is basically saying technology will fix the food crisis. And what we need to do is help develop technologies, biotechnologies, genetically modified organisms, new varieties of drought-resistant seed, flood-resistant seed, climate-resistant seeds. And that what we need to do is go into mainly Africa and provide them with seeds and fertilizers in a, as a way to resolve the food crisis. So, in, I mean, in, in general, the outcome of the conference was positive in some ways, but very dangerous and very risky in other ways. So the positive thing was this recognition that food systems are broken and they need to be repaired. Agriculture has been neglected. The poorest people in the world, 70% of whom are small-scale agricultural producers, have been neglected for the last few decades. This has to stop. We need to pay more attention to them, we need to invest in them, and we need to build up safety um, mechanisms or safety nets in order to protect these vulnerable groups. So great messages on the one hand. Unfortunately, some of the solutions, using the World Bank, using the International Monetary Fund, continuing to deregulate and liberalize markets, and having a, a, a technology fix as the way to solve the crisis, might actually have the perverse effect of making the crisis worse, because some of these things were part of the reason for the crisis. When I think about all the bad things I've done, won't take my ship and run, 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 run. Gonna dig myself out of this hole, but it's more like a ditch and I'm more like a hole, hole, hole. For much of the last decade, farmers around the world have faced low prices, in many cases well below their cost of production. Are higher prices a boom for farmers? And if not, who is reaping the gains from higher food prices? Anne Lor Constantine of IATP's Trade Information Project is the author of the new report, Turning High Prices into an Opportunity. We sat down to discuss her findings. I think it's pretty clear from what's uh, appeared in the media over the past few months that higher food prices put a lot of pressure on consumers, especially in urban areas, because these people have a low purchasing power and if food prices increase, they don't have any money to pay for other kinds of expenses. But what IATP has been saying for a long time is that the prices that farmers receive for their production are too low to enable them to cover their production costs. And so we have been advocating in favor of higher prices for farmers, right? So we don't think that higher commodity prices are bad per se. What's happening now is that a lot of factors combine that result in farmers not really getting the fair share of these higher prices. So among these, there is the fact that a lot of input prices have gone up. Increase in fertilizer prices, for example, is due to the increase in oil prices, but a huge part of it is also due to companies making more and more profit. So if you look at the figures for 2006 and 2007 profits of the main fertilizer companies, they've increased, they've exploded. And so we think a lot of it has to do with the governments regulating much more the market power of these companies, because many of them are monopolies or oligopolies, so they have 
a huge advantage when you've got two, three main fertilizer suppliers against thousands of farmers. Farmers don't have much choice. And then the very central thing that we've been highlighting for long as well is the lack of a fair distribution of benefits along the value chain. Those companies that purchase the products from the farmers do not necessarily transmit to them a fair share of the higher prices. And so it's still very unclear which farmers are benefiting and which are not. But in particular, in developing countries where they have little information and where they are not so organized, so well organized, they end up not getting too much of the benefit. Now, what we would say is these issues need to be those at which we look. And so we want decision makers and policy makers to look at how they could regulate the distribution of benefits so that farmers get higher prices. And so we don't advocate for commodity prices to come down to previous levels. We think it is normal that commodities should, because of all the environmental costs that it takes to um, produce them and because farmers deserve to earn a proper living, we think it's normal that commodities should be um, at higher prices. Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Dale, Stepping Razor by Peter Tosh, All the Bad Things by John David, and Creation by L. Michaels Affair. I'm Patrick Sai. Thanks for listening. 